Hello, folks. Welcome back to the RLS podcast. We're on episode 64, um, and we are here with Jen. Jen, how are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. I'm, I'm good. Uh, just off the back of coming back from Belfast last week, did you enjoy it? It was so much fun. Yeah, I said to the, uh, the guys the other day, like, my jaw's actually sore because I've laughed that much. So I'm like trying not to laugh or smile because I feel like I've got jaw pain from just laughing for two days. Yeah. I actually heard your um, little, not an argument about about Guinness on the podcast um, oh, yeah. this morning. And I have I have to agree. I think it, so I think that I actually really enjoyed the one. I went into a pub in Belfast and actually really enjoyed that Guinness. Um, but I think like when you come closer to home, like they're just horrendous. I had one on Saturday night. I thought I had a taste for it, and it was minging. Yeah, there's only um, there's only one pub that I will drink like Guinness in here. Um, that's like my husband's local, and that's the only place right about here you can get like a decent Guinness. I don't know if they've got lines like straight to Dublin running running under the Irish Sea or something, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's just there's nothing like the real deal, man. Nothing like Not the real at deal. All. Um. But yeah, so like for anyone that maybe doesn't know, and well, to be fair, I only I've only known Jen. What like when was the event? Was it January? Uh, February. It was February. Yeah, so I've only February. known you since since February when you you actually delivered the the talk to us, and I think it was it was quite an eye opener for like a a lot of us, a lot of us coaches, and and I kept metaphorically pulled a lot of our pants down um, <laughs> with uh, the way that we kind of view our clients and things like that, and it definitely allowed me to to open up my eyes to some of the clients that I'm working with. Um, so I suppose like an introduction's in in, in mind. Um, who are you? What's your background? Um, so I'm Jen Rolich. I am a brain-based behaviour change coach. So I use neuroscientific principles to support people through the psychological side of the journey of change. Um, so I came off a career uh, in the NHS. I worked in the NHS for eight years doing organisational development. I worked as a consultant. So basically my whole job was to build and develop teams, develop leaders, and then support them to build and deliver services around about that. So really whenever there was people in a problem, I was sent in to try and help to fix it. Uh, and I trained as an accredited professional coach in 2020. Um, so I'd been kind of practising informally for a while, but formalised that qualification then. Um then in October 2021, I set up my own business, um, coaching in and around the fitness industry. So at the moment I work, I've kind of built this up to be um, supporting people through the psychological side of a health and fitness journey, because I think quite a lot of the time, the challenges that we face in achieving physical goals often come down to psychological barriers. So really my job is just using neuroscience to help people unpick those barriers and get themselves to their results. Um, and in the last few months, um, I've uh, moved into a wee bit more work with coaches. So I work inside the High Performance Coach, as you know, um, as the head of High Performance Coaching, say coaching again. Um, basically, my job there is to support health and fitness coaches to develop their coaching skill and ability. So essentially getting better results for their clients um, by improving their skill essentially so yeah I do that I work in and around a few different programs as an in-house coach um, and I work in a client development role as well so just a wee bit more 
wee bit more responsibility, I suppose, for getting people to those to those results. So yeah, I've got my finger in many pies. <laughs> um, I think it's a it's a very big gap in in everyone's coaching within the fitness industry. It's mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the time we just want to push harder, try harder, do more. When in reality, like we we always want the physical thing. It's it's the psychological thing that's sometimes missing. I suppose that's where you're so valuable within all the kind of jobs that you do in the coaching programs that you're in. Um, but what what kind of brought you to want to follow that line of work? Um, I think I sort of, I, I really, I know that people say this quite a lot, but I really did end up here by accident um, because it's never, health and fitness has always been something that's been more of a struggle in my life as opposed to like a passion. Um and I think it's not the it's not the kind of industry I would ever have seen someone like me in anyway. Um, but like I said, I kind of I left uni. Uh, I graduated with a degree in um, politics and sociology, um, and I, I did psychology in my time there as well. But I ended up dropping psychology after two years. It's too hard. <laughs> um, but I've kind of through the continuous professional development. I've done postgraduate qualifications, masters. I've kind of covered a lot more of the psychology basis um, just through the focus of organisations um, as opposed to in a general sense. Um, so I kind of I got a graduate job in NHS and just sort of moved my way around loads of different departments because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I just knew that I, I wanted to work with people and I really, really enjoyed, I've always been fascinated with people, the brain, how it works, just how people interact with one another, which is obviously how I'd kind of ended up uh, doing the degree that I did. Um, and uh, it was taken under the wing of my very uh, experienced mentor, who's still my mentor to this day. Uh, she's an excellent woman, and she kind of just opened me up to a world of you know, of organisational development that I didn't know existed. I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, so I really just enjoyed the whole process of, like, consultancy, like, really trying to get to the root of what is actually the issue here. Um, it's really, really complex. There's not really any straightforward processes for it. It's slow. It's difficult. So it was right up my street <laughs> um, because I don't like simple things I like the more complex for me the better I enjoy the challenge um so yeah I just kind of developed and, and kind of went up the ladder really and and there and then uh, I started working with my coach Mark in 2019 because I wanted to lose five stone in six months for my wedding and I thought that was a dead realistic and achievable goal um shock horror it wasn't um, and then when I qualified as a coach uh, in 2020, when I was doing my postgrad, I needed someone um, that I could like have as my test dummy, basically. So I had to, you have to meet like a certain amount of hours um, coaching practice to, to achieve your registration as a professional coach. And I was like, who can my test dummy be? And I thought, oh, I'll ask him. Because <laughs> uh, at this point, obviously, Mark's programme is many people's programmes where it was fully online. And he spoke a lot about mindset and psychology and I thought he's probably someone that's good to practice on. Uh, so I started practicing on him and I obviously did something right because he asked me to come and work for him. Um, and I think it was February 21. Um, and after a few months, um, he'd kind of shared some of the things that I had been talking about 
within his his network of of coaches that he knew um and they started reaching out and asking me if I could work with them which I was like really me <laughs> I was like I just had no belief in you know the kind of things that I was talking about um so October 21 I started kind of branching out I set up my business and working with other people and yeah I've sort of just been doing that ever since I left the NHS uh, August 2022 to pursue my business full-time and it's just all kind of like exploded from there really um it, it's just it's been like it's it feels a bit like I mean, I started this business at like a fold out desk in my mum in law's spare room. So <laughs> for it to go from where it has to here now, sometimes feels a bit like, oh, did I actually do all that? Um, but yeah, it just it just seems to be getting I keep getting to work with more of the people that I want to work with and supporting people through what's such a difficult thing, I think, just being able to make a difference and how people see themselves and improve the relationship with ourselves through change is just it's great I love it yeah that's amazing and I think as I said like it's it's just a massive gap that all coaches it's probably the most like the most uncomfortable thing to address as well like I don't know if you would agree with that it's probably the thing that people hold back on because it is does does have that degree of oh shit I'm gonna have to expose myself a little bit here yeah absolutely and I think that it sometimes it comes down to what uh, your perception of the coaching relationship is so it took me a very long time to be able to be fully honest with Mark about things that had happened to me in my experience and why I was the way that I was because I was carrying so much guilt and shame around it so I think I'm very aware that people are coming and people come to you as a coach with their own story with guilt shame fear anxiety really running in the belief like until someone comes to you as a coach and your program they are running in a belief system that tells them every time you've tried to do this before you've failed. So even when you have a coach that you think is great, you're fighting against your own belief system that has years and years of evidence that tells you you're going to fail at this. So to be able to support people to work through that and overcome that barrier um, and actually go after what they really want to achieve, it's just a pure joy. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I, th- I think one of the main things that I took away from the first time that I heard you speak was that like a lot of the time as coaches, like we can almost brandish people as like failures, too much work. Oh, what what is it we call them again? Like I can't even remember the word. Like, Nightmare client. Yeah, that like that that phrase as well. When in reality, like I think the minute you kind of brandish them as that, you fail to understand them at all. I think mm. don't get me wrong, there are people that are harder to work with than others, but I think if you just draw a line over it, you kind of you'll never really understand that person. Um, mm. but I was wondering what your kind of like take was on. And I mean, you spoke about it with yourself, um, like actually like breaking down barriers with people and beginning to understand them. I think you said like it took you maybe about what like a, a year or something to actually kind of really let Mark into what was going on. Mm, yeah, I think it took. I don't think it took as long as that. I think it was, but it was generally about a good six months. I think I would say before I, I really felt like I was able to share my experience, and I think it took probably about another week. <laughs> year year and a half before I was actually honest and transparent with him because I was carrying so much guilt and shame and I think I think a lot of the time people forget or coaches forget that the person is only coming to you with the parts of the story that they are willing to share so as a coach you can only coach the person that they're bringing um but essentially you know through our own judgment we we create a perception of how we see that person or what we believe that person to be 
we have absolutely no no knowledge of the story and the parts of the story that they've not told us. And I think it's really, really important to take time to consider for yourself. How would I feel if someone was making an entire judgment on me based on the things that they can't see? Yeah. Um, and I think as well, a lot of the time, coaches underestimate when someone's joining your programme, they want help with their health and fitness. So to gain that person's trust, you have to prove to them that you are capable of helping them first and foremost with their health and fitness before you can get them to open up about things that might be relevant in the grander scheme of things, but that they're maybe just not yet ready to trust you with. Yeah, that's definitely a mistake I've made in the past. I went too deep too quickly mm. and tried to kind of help answer all these like really deep philosophical questions with this person when in reality they're just like just fucking get, help me lose five kilograms first and then we'll then we'll talk yeah. um so no that, that's i definitely agree with that um but in, in terms of like some of the mistakes you maybe see coaches make when it comes to like well coaching a client when they're first coming in is there anything like obvious that that pops out i think uh, assumption is the biggest one um, people make assumption all the time about what they think is important to someone, what they think will work. Just because you have a process doesn't mean that that process is going to automatically fit the person. And you can't ask someone to trust in the process that you don't trust in. So if you start to doubt your own process, you can't then reassure someone else to have faith and trust in the progress of uh, the process. I think a lot of the time, understand that obviously online health and fitness coaching now is really really scalable in the terms of supporting people you know multiple different people at one time um i think it's really important that you don't bite off more than, than you can chew because i think the quality of the relationship is the most important part coaching regardless of the medium through which it's done or the context that's applied should always always be a partnership there should never be a coach and a pedestal there should never be a client and a pedestal it's two people and two brains coming together in the same issue um and i think that it's really really important that people don't make assumptions about what is important to someone um the the back getting the balance of support and challenge right is just the eternal the eternal journey of being a coach i don't think everyone will fully get it right all of the time um and i think that getting support right looks like not just being compassionate to someone all the time but giving them compassion when that's what they need um and also supporting them to stretch themselves supporting them to challenge themselves it's not always the hand round the shoulder sometimes that is the kick up the arse um and challenge not always looking like just shut up and get it done like a lot of the time challenge does look like I'm telling you this because I care. Yeah. I'm offering you this other perspective because you need to see this. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room at some point. It's okay if you don't want to talk about the elephant right now, but know that I am going to keep bringing up the elephant at your own pace. We're going to start to talk about why it's there. Um, a lot of the time it just comes down to preserving the relationship between two people before trying to be coaching client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, that's something that I actually asked all my clients um, through like a anonymous feedback form and like it came up time and time again that I was too nice and didn't mm. didn't basically tell them what they needed to be told at times, mm. um, which was was which was uncomfortable but good feedback for me because I know I'm I'm too nice and I try to make it all sound all great and it'll be okay. We'll fix this and I know that's just my my kind of nature but I definitely do need to take a little bit of a 
a leaf out of maybe your Mark's book and just being a little having a little bit more conviction with things like that mm-hmm. when I know it needs to be said. Hmm. And that's the thing is like it's not that it, it's not doesn't demonstrate that you don't care, right? Like crucially, I, I care deeply about every single person that I work with. Um, but it's because I care that I have a duty to say what has to be said. And a lot of the time our fears as coaches around, you know, being too nice, it comes down to our perception of ourselves when really it's absolutely nothing to do with us. So in the moment that I'm challenging someone's behaviour and I have to say to them, I'm holding the mirror up here to show you exactly what this is look like. looks like. Have you noticed that you're doing this and can you understand the impact that this is having? It's not about me. And I have to remove my own fears and my own emotions and really anything to do with me from that situation because all I am in that moment is the person holding their mirror. It's nothing to do with me or my emotions or how it makes me feel. And I think that's that's really the... That's really, I think, how, as a coach, you take the understanding of of compassionate challenge to the next level because the intention behind it has got nothing to do with you as a coach and everything to do with what that person needs. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, something I really did want to touch on as well was, like, why, why do you think that when you came in to that goal of losing five stone for your wedding with Mark, why do you think that, wasn't right why do you think that didn't really well I actually don't know if it, if it did happen or not I don't know if you did lose the five stone but why do you think that was maybe the the wrong approach to come in with so I did lose it but it, it won't surprise you know it took a hell of a lot longer than six months um I was coming with a lifelong eating disorder so that really was the most unrealistic part um I think that for some people five stone in six months might be a really achievable target for someone like me with lifelong disordered eating. The only way I was going to do that was through extreme restriction. Um, and all I'd ever known was extremes. So um, I went on my first diet when I was nine years old. Like, you know, I was coming with a really distorted view of myself, my body, food, um, every myth in the book. I believe that if there is a diet that exists in the world, I have done it. Um. I defined everything about myself, everything about myself worth by my weight. So I think that was pretty obvious to Mark from the get-go and recognised that actually psychologically I didn't have the stability or the relationship with myself to be able to achieve a goal like that um, and to be able to survive that the level of restriction that it would have taken. Plus, it would have been so unethical of him (laughs) to put me on the kind of calories that would have facilitated that goal. But he was very honest with me for the get for the get go and said like that's probably not going to be possible, but we'll get you in the best possible position that we can, and we did. Um, but he also didn't tell me that it wasn't possible, so it, it wasn't a case of like absolutely I'll get that result for you, which is the mistake I see a lot of coaches make, is that they put that pressure on the client and that pressure on themselves. So you're both trying to achieve something that's entirely unrealistic. That's really damaging to the relationship. Um, but similarly, he didn't discourage me either and say that's totally unrealistic. You won't be able to do that. He believed in my ability to do more. Um, but it was very much about let's just focus on the major priority right now, which is healing your relationship with food, um, which for someone like me is a lifelong journey because by that point I'd been battling with food and the relationship in my body for 
like 15 years longer probably mm -hmm. and it's maybe quite a quite, could be a long-winded question but like how did you begin to work with mark to repair your relationship with food and and i, I know that's like that for me anyway that's an ongoing process that took like a lot of years and i think i maybe still live with a low level little voice in my head that kind of mm. still pops its head up now and again saying things um even out loud sometimes when i'm like no shut up that that's that's irrational how would you yeah. go about that i think um before you improve your relationship with anything you need to improve your relationship with yourself so food was never actually really the issue food will never be the issue um it's it's my relationship with myself that's the issue um so I think anyone who uses any sort of vice or outlet for emotional processing, for stress, for anything challenging, any emotion that they feel, um, it's about healing the relationship with you first. Um, I live with PTSD, so the trauma that I experienced was a huge root of that, of that and a huge catalyst of my relationship with food. So because of that, that was the thing that I had to be able to heal from first before I was actually able to even address the relationship with food. And honestly, I think depending on the extent of it, you, it's a, it's a, it's, I don't think you ever get there. Um, I, it, it, for me, it's a never ending journey. And I think I've had a lot of health and fitness coaches don't like it when I say that because I think they want to believe that they can sell the dream to people. Um, but I'm very transparent about it. I think that like in the same sense that if you recover from alcoholism, you are always an alcoholic in recovery. If you recover from being a drug addict, you're always an addict in recovery. You know, it, you're never fully healed. You will always be that person, but you're in recovery from it. And I do think that for people who use food as an outlet and really essentially as an addiction in the way that I did, um, it, 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 it's the same thing. You're never really fully healed from it. You improve your, your relationship with yourself. Therefore, you improve the relationship with the thing. And Mark actually said this to me as well, is that the difficulty with food is that you have to re-engage with it. So it's not like you can just cut it out. You, yeah. you, you can't not eat. So you have no choice but to improve the relationship with yourself if you want to improve the relationship with it. Um, but for me, it was just, it was multiple different approaches. Therapy was obviously the most important. I'm still in therapy now. I probably will be for the rest of my life, um, which I'm cool with because it keeps me well. Um, and really just working on the, the image that I have of myself, I think is a really huge component of it. Um, exercise was another one because my whole life I've seen exercise as a weight loss tool. So it wasn't until I started to focus on physical performance being able to do things like play football and run a, run a half marathon and train in the gym and get stronger. And to be honest, I don't really enjoy strength training. I kind of just do it because I know that I need to, but it's not something that lights my fire. So I think it's really important that you find other forms of movement that you genuinely enjoy, not for the benefit that it's going to bring or the calories it's going to burn. Like I was just always doing those stupid fucking classes at the gym, like body combat and body pump. I hated them all. But I was so focused on the calorie burden that like I wouldn't do just do stuff that I enjoyed. So I think finding movement that you actually enjoy helps you feel strong in your body is really, really, really important. And crucially, just allowing yourself to enjoy food. If you're overeating or you're undereating, you're not enjoying the food. Like if you're binging on it, you don't enjoy it. If you're restricting it, you can't stop thinking about it. So like 
the binding restrict cycle is a cycle for a reason. It, one doesn't exist without the other. So if you're restricting, it's a case of when, not if. And if you're binging, it's a case of when, not if, um, that you'll start to restrict again. So I think it's really, really important for people to accept that for the cycle to end, both have to both have to stop. Um, and a diet, another diet, another form of restriction is not going to be the thing that helps you heal from it. Yeah, it's um, it's just kind of seeing like loads of similarities to like the the process that I went through, and I don't I don't really know how I managed to get through it. It was almost just like time passed by, and I just learned more. But like from the ages of eighteen, like I think I was just like so so malleable and just had very very little self worth around my body. That when I found calorie tracking and when I found the gym and like bodybuilding it just like I clung on to it so hard I was like this is going to be the thing that makes me feel better and I just remember going through the cycle like every single year we're trying to get in shape for holiday and I would like see that number on the scale and okay I got to 81 this summer next summer I'm going to get to 80 and the next year I'm going to get to 79 and ended up like with fucking no libido no energy no nothing like was just like <laughs> on rock bottom um, and I think it has only since like it just ha- it took a number of years, but it only since like I almost like fully removed calorie tracking, fully removed um, training for aesthetics, um, and kind of started thinking about more performance based stuff like like you had that it's it's healed over time almost mm-hmm. without having done anything. But as I said, like there are still like very very low levels and just a very quiet voice in my head sometimes. Like when I look in the mirror, or maybe when I've like overeaten, like. Ellie sometimes catches me still doing it because when I first got with her it was maybe a little bit worse like I'll say why did I do that why did I eat that much and she's like stop it <laughs> so it's um it's, it's been a long journey but I can I can definitely say that like it's it's the best it's ever been yeah absolutely because it is it's just it's like anything else you improve your relationship with it over time um but it's always that thing it's one of the, it's a wicked issue it's, it doesn't have a clear-cut solution and I think it's going to be different for different people like I can track calories now and being a calorie deficit and adhere to it and it's not an issue whereas before it, it just wasn't possible for me so I think it's about I think it's about being honest with yourself about what's a priority to you because I think if you're like me and like you are overweight there can be that real pressure to get back to a healthy weight or get get the weight off get the weight off and actually sometimes it's just not a priority and that's okay like sometimes you're going through things where actually being in a calorie deficit and having fuck all the energy because you're eating low, low, loads amount of my amounts of food is the last thing that you need like sometimes I need my brain to work <laughs> consistently and I can't do that if I'm fucking starving do you know what I mean but I think it's just about giving yourself permission to work on what's a priority for you because once you give yourself permission to focus on what's a priority and whenever I do this whenever we work with clients and I have this conversation with them nine times out of ten when we take them we take tell them to take their eyes off the ball and stop tracking they fucking lose weight anyway because it's just about giving people permission to think more intuitively in line with what they actually want um, as opposed to staying stuck within I can't, I shouldn't, you know. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And um, I think that was like the same with me with calorie tracking. Like I never thought I could stop doing it. But then when I did stop doing it and I literally had stopped doing it for about a year until 
until maybe a couple of weeks ago. And then I, I checked my weight for the first time in about six months. And I was like, oh, it's not changed. It's the exact <laughs> same. I've not put on, it, on any weight. I don't feel any worse. I feel better, if anything. And I also found that my appetite was, and my hunger was, as soon as I started calorie tracking again, I found that like I was more hyper-focused on what the next meal was coming up. Not that it's, it's been totally fine and I just wanted to trial it. But um, no, it's, it's interesting how it works. Um, something I did want to ask you as well is what is, what's your take or what's your view on the current kind of like body transformation um, program type thing that goes on in this, I mean, I don't know what you want to call them, like the 30-day fat loss transformations and things like that. Hmm. so it's an interesting one because I think people would expect me to say I'm so against it and I think it's terrible and that's not true um I think if it's done in the right way with the right intention it, it's actually really really helpful from a from a brain perspective because um in the initial stages of change it's really really important that you see a result correlated to your effort otherwise you will disengage from the change completely so from what we know from a behaviour change perspective, you're looking at kind of anywhere from 12 to 18 months to be able to actually achieve and sustain a behaviour change. So that's a long, long process to go on to to wait on a result. So I think that in those initial stages, particularly the kind of first 12 weeks, it's really, really important for someone to see a result. Um, and I think that a lot of the time feeling better, yes, is great, but if you're feeling better, then your your physical results should correlate with that. Um, so the everybody's journey, I think, goes at a different pace. And I think any progress is good progress. I think it's unrealistic to, to promise people that they will transform in 30 days. I don't think anyone will transform in 30 days and you're not going to transform in 12 weeks either. But I think if it's clear cut about what you can get in that time, and that's actually based on evidence and not just a this sounds really good and this will probably sell <laughs> then I think it's helpful because I think that over the over the whole process of change realistically we're looking at like 12 months I would say from my experience of working with people through change for everyone for people to go through every single stage and cycle of change that's that's our average um you can't wait 12 months to see something change you have to get that indication like I said kind of earlier on that something's working and that something's happening but the end goal and the end result is going to feel so distant that you're going to feel so detached from the end result and the end outcome so many times that someone telling you just focus on the vision focus on the bigger picture it's not going to work. Um, so it's actually really, really important for people to stay engaged and change to have milestones along the way. Um, so setting milestones at a 30, 60, 90 day mark are the best way to actually engage people in a change. I also think that for a lot a lot of the time, when you are embarking on a journey of change, if I come to you and my immediate priority is I am so uncomfortable with my body, I need to lose weight. I don't want a coach telling me actually that's not important. Right, It's important to me. And I'm coming to you to get what's important to me, right? I think sometimes that coaches try and do everything at once. And actually, that's just noise. If somebody's coming to you and telling you, like, my head is noisy. I hate the way that I look. I'm so uncomfortable my body. None of my clothes fit me, right? And you send them this big, comprehensive, life-changing thing. And here's your onboarding email. Watch these six videos. And here's my extensive lab. 
with everything to do with your mind, that is just more noise into someone's head that's already busy and noisy. So I think in those initial stages, it's actually so important that, that you give that person what they are telling you they need most instead of you as coach saying, I know what's best, right? Because you don't, they do. I think it's really important for the person to get what they need immediately in that at that period of time. Once they are starting to feel like they're distant from the pain a wee bit more, their clothes maybe fit again, they're starting to feel a wee bit more comfortable, that overwhelm is minimised and there's the capacity in their brain, then we can talk about, okay, so now that we've got you in a bit more of a comfortable position, let's talk about the root of the issue, which is stress, which is your self-worth, which is your self-belief, right? Let's focus on how we align mind and body and bring them some synergy. Obviously, everybody's going to be different, but I do think that there's something about being able to give someone what they need but also being able to deliver what you promised them. So I think a 30-day fucking six-pack shred or whatever the hell people want to call it, lot of shite, right? Unrealistic, unattainable. The things that, the extremes that people need to go to to achieve stuff like that can be so damaging. And I think it appeals to, it appeals to the kind of people like how I was, that they're never going to get that anyway. So it actually appeals to a kind of person that it's going to be more damaging for that I think it's not okay. However, when it comes to a 90-day transformation where you'll lose a really achievable amount of weight, where you'll feel better, you'll have more energy, you'll feel less stressed, you'll feel more in control, all of those things are actually achievable within that time frame without overhauling and severely restricting. So if it's done in the right way, yes. If you're promising someone a six-pack in 30 days, no. <laughs> No, that's I, I think I've definitely been at both ends of the scale in that. When I first started, it was more like, let's get people in quickly as possible. 30 day, this is going to be great. Like We're going to get in shape for holiday. And then I kind of went the complete opposite way and disregarded everything in the middle and went, let's go for this long-term, amazing, sustainable lifestyle type thing and kind of missed, missed the point of what I was actually doing. And now I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day and they were kind of doing that long-term thing and... I, I do think it is really good to like get them in, get some sort of visible result as soon as possible, um, obviously within reason, and then eventually just build it up over time and then start selling them the kind of the long term thing. Because as you said, like in reality, I would love to keep every single one of my clients on board at least a year to achieve what I think they want to achieve overall. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, but I like to think my lifespan is getting is getting longer within my program, and that's that kind of the way that that I want it. Is that kind of similar to for the Built for Life program? Yeah, I, was, I mean, I think, to be honest, our, our average client life cycle, about 18 months to two years. Um, we keep people, most people are minimum a year. Um, but I think it's because we do we do sort of approach it in that exact way. And I think as well, it's very, very tailored to the individual. So, like, if you are coming with lifelong disordered eating, you have a binge eating disorder, like you have a really really challenged relationship with food our initial focus is only to help you get into the practice of being able to eat food and minimize the amount that you're binging so it would be severely dangerous and unethical for us to promise someone that um, that weight loss immediately you know it would be really dangerous for us to say 
yeah, fuck it, come in and eat 1,200 calories and I'll get you that result because then we're only contributing to the perpetuation of that cycle. I think in the initial stages, there is a lot of, there is a lot of managing expectations. Um, but again, it totally depends on the client. There are some people who come in, they hit the ground running, they smash it, they get exactly what they wanted in that three-month period. But then they ask themselves the question, well, what's possible if I stay for longer? Um, so I think it, it all comes down to the individual and what they're trying to achieve. I think um, in those initial stages, I would say for anyone who is healing from disordered eating and trying to improve their relationship with food, the first six months is really just an iterative process of where does this show up for you? Like, is this emotional response or is this, is this a conditioned behaviour based on environment, based on the people that you're around? It's a lot of fact finding for us to understand their patterns and behaviours around food first. Once we can understand the patterns and behaviours around food and we get to know the person better, we can start to implement small changes over time. That means that once that person's in a safer place mentally, we can then start to say, right, let's get granular in what you're eating. Um, let's get granular on like tracking or whatever or whatever it may be. But for a lot of people, it's not important to them. So if it's not important to them, they're not going to push it. Um, I think there are some times that people get a bit scared of things they don't need to be scared of. So we'll challenge that. Um, but I think that for most people, they initially come in for, for the body, obviously, as most people do. Um, but I think they know that it's more than just that once they've been here for a while. Um, and that's when it starts to become a wee bit more about the other areas of your life that you want to see improvement in. Um, and I think anyone who we see stay for that one year, year and a half, kind of two year process, like people come in like overweight, tired, stressed, sick of their job, sick of their life and after two years, they're like running marathons, they've set up their own business, they've left their job, they've divorced their man, they've moved abroad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we see, we see a sort of a, a sort of like 180, but it is about helping the whole person to transform if that's what they want. Um so yeah, I think because we do work with people for longer, it just gives us the chance to look into all those different areas of their life once they prove to themselves that they're capable of doing the thing they always thought they weren't capable of, I think they start to ask themselves the question of where else could I be doing this or where else am I playing small? Yeah, I definitely think like all of my best um, results have definitely come from people that have been on board like probably like a year plus um, my long-term clients that have just like I've watched them completely like grow and change as a person and they've as you say, like all those like different things, like I've probably got an example of one of those things with at least one person across the board. And it's, it's so cool to see, like, it's, it's cool to see people like go and pursue something they actually want to pursue because they've then got the confidence in themselves to actually go and do something like that. Yeah. Um, that is like, that's probably the one that you get the most buzz out of as a coach and helping yeah. people really, I know the word transform is chucked about quite a bit, but that is a, like, almost like a transform transformation of their life, I suppose. Yeah, um, absolutely. One thing I wanted to quickly touch on just to finish off on, it was just something you mentioned a little a little bit ago. So with like disordered eating, binge eating, um, and all those kind of phrases that are, are thrown about, would you be able to just like quickly differentiate between what those are and maybe some kind of signs and how these things happen? I know that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, in all honesty, I'm not a professional in this area. Um, so I think if you do if you do live with disordered eating or an eating disorder, 
you absolutely have to explore that with with a properly qualified mental health professional because I think that there's a difference between working with someone who has disordered eating patterns and working with someone who has an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I think they're two very distinct um, things. So um, I, I think I think if you want to explore that a wee bit more or you think you are living with maybe an eating disorder or, or disordered eating patterns, you really have to explore that with a qualified mental health professional. Um, so from a disordered eating perspective, it would be, for I'll speak about my own experience with sort of someone with disordered eating, but it really just would have been lifelong binge and restrict. Um, so I couldn't really have like a normal relationship with food. I would say where I could eat till I was full and leave the rest, or um, where I could eat like a donut on a Tuesday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or I could go for dinner without going for like the dirtiest thing in the menu because I'm out for dinner what if I don't go out for dinner again or just that scarcity around food of like it's Sunday and it's cheap day and calories don't count so I'll eat everything but I have to eat everything out the house today so that as of Monday I can start on a restriction so it's just always been for me it was always in that real extreme um, of like restricting 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 and then binging every single time it came to the weekend or a difficult emotion um, or being triggered from a place of of trauma Um, but there are so many different there are so many different components to disordered eating Um, it would be (laughs) it would probably be another two hours I would say to explore it all yeah, it's um, it's definitely quite a, a complex subject, but it's um, I just think it's good obviously for just people to kind of understand what that almost looks like. Um, I've like I've had a couple of messages of people in the past couple of months, and I have just went, I'll pass you on to to someone, um, because it's yeah, it's it's complicated. I do think I've I kind of suffered with disordered eating myself for a for a good for a good long time with that binge and restrict cycle. Um, it was yeah. very rife within my life. Like you're talking. Yeah like a lot of calories on a Sunday because it almost didn't count and then as you say like you go into I think I remember setting my MyFitness Pal to what was it 1500 one Monday and um, that was with a football session and a gym session and a full day of labouring and um, it was no wonder that I'd basically fallen to bits. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and I think it'll, it'll show up differently in different people like but I think anyone who is creating rules really around food then when you can eat it and if food is kind of always in your mind um fears about eating out fears about going nights out um and eating dinners and you know anything that really weird there's food preoccupation um that that was always a big sign for me is that I, I, food is a lot a lot less of a focus in my mind now I'm not a lot less preoccupied by it um and I feel like I, I have a lot more choice now over what I do whereas before it felt like binging was inevitable. It didn't really feel like it was a choice. It was more like, this is going to happen, so just resign to it. But like I said, for me, it was all really linked to trauma and emotion. That's not the same case for everybody, um, which is why it's really, really important to explore what it looks like for you um, as an individual. Right. Um, so yeah, Jen, where can where can people find you or... Obviously, I've been I've been plugging your your podcast to a couple of people as well. So you'd obviously let people know where we can find you on the podcast as well. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, thanks very much. You can be our first sponsor. Um, <laughs> so it's the it's the Built for Life podcast. Um, you will find it on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, I think, um, by myself and Mark Strathern. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. I am coach.with.gen. Cool. Thank you very much. I think with, with the podcast as well, what I said to a couple of people is it just as obviously as a coach it's beneficial but as a client it, it helps you really understand like in a really informative understandable way like the process that you're going through it makes it make sense it makes sometimes like I suppose I maybe can't rationalize it in in the way that maybe you guys have um it just it's, it's been really valuable to me I'm going to keep listening to them so thank you thank you very much I appreciate it and thanks for having me on oh thank you thank you for your time um I'll catch you later speak to you soon